Hello, welcome back to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. And that's it. That's that's all the cast we've got. Um <laughs> this is this is actually mostly a com radio takeover. So who have we got from com radio? I'm Jordan, and my pronouns are he and him. I'm Chloe, my pronouns are she her. I'm Matt, my pronouns are he him. So you there's more of you, so like fuck up you do it. <laughs> so yeah um we've, we've got com radio on to talk about films because i made an offhand comment about wouldn't it be funny if we did a, a joint episode for cultural committee stuff and then jordan took it seriously like the fucking rube <laughs> that he is and here we are i've just wasted an entire fucking afternoon watching two films one of which i've seen plenty and which one which i'd seen already too much by which i mean once um, yeah, so we're here for a special two-part episode to talk about Independence Day and Independence Day 2. So this will be the Independence Day section. If you want the Independence Day 2 episode, you need to go to Come Radio for that. But yeah. Uh, Love how we're not even giving it the respect of its name. <laughs> no, no, not even. No, no. Fully not. <laughs> Fuck that film. <laughs> well, the, the original plan for this was to be putting these episodes out on Independence Day and instead we're recording them on Pakistan Independence Day. Uh, that's just left left being planning, I think, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think part of the reason we wanted to do this was to do a bit of ale work. Mm-hmm. That, that thing we started and hardly ever talked about because yep. we forget <laughs> things a lot. Fun to work with friends. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. there's about to be a moral lesson here. I, I was just googling to see if there was a Turkish Independence Day. Um because because am I right in thinking that Turkey do a lot of kind of did they do the other Star Wars? Well, you'll have to check in with Jamie on a different podcast on their Patreon to find out about Turkish Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. Turkish Star Wars is incredible. Yeah, I, I was just wondering if there's an equivalent Independence Day version, but there isn't, from what I can tell. No. I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I Famously, I know nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good base to start. I wish that from. was my bit on this podcast, where I just came in and didn't know anything at all. It's really amazing how you've managed to nail that down in two separate podcasts. Yeah, well, I mean, it is literally why Sinan hired me. <laughs> it's why I suggested you. <laughs> oh, wait, who wrote the music for that podcast? I think it was Sting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Well, we um, well, we we kick off on Independence Day, and we'll just we'll, we'll talk through our thoughts on it just briefly, uh, and then we'll we'll, we'll dissect the plot. And then, you know, we talk about shit as it comes up, and then we can have rants about it afterwards. Sound. Cool. Right. Uh, well, fine. Chloe, well volunteered. What did you think of Independence Day? Um, it's actually more interesting than it had any right to be for the kind of film <laughs> that it is. No, I mean, I, I think... So if we go into some of it it doesn't do huge depth on character studies but it tries to make a little bit of an effort it 
has some very stupid and illogical stuff that you manage to ignore because it's carrying you well enough along with the plot that until you get to the end of it and someone goes, how on earth did the virus thing work? Um, <laughs> just feels cool with it in the film. And I, I actually I actually know what the uh, the nerd rationale for that was because I, I saw it in the cinema in the 90s and I can remember oh, yeah. people arguing on the internet about it. <laughs> and apparently the the implication, which I didn't fucking pick up pick up any of in the film, is that like our computer technology is based in part on things that like fucking uh, data learned from the, the fucking alien spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore they're compatible. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that that's actually implied anywhere in the film. Like Unix it. actually comes from the word universe, which is where they found the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how that works. To be fair, that's also where everyone finds everything. Yeah, oh, true. Yeah. Parker Brian Cox over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Unix system. People just know this. Um, yeah, the, the music for Pace at Home is actually Things Can Only Get Better by the band D. Reed. <laughs> <laughs> true check it out side of the summer um yeah like i i think that i think it's a perfectly good fine film like it's just it's total bullshit schlock for most part but like it's fine it's good it, it, it aims to do a thing it does the thing it does the thing fine like yeah i just don't really have any huge issues with it there's a couple of bits where it's like mm, no but it's not terrible uh whatever mental state that roland emmerich was in at the time is a much better one than the one that he's been in recently <laughs> uh i don't want to go too into depth in the the terminal decline of uh the mind of roland emmerich because we've got fucking moonfall planned as an episode to talk about soon and that's even more so than the second Independence Day film um, a, a clear indicator of where he's going but yeah like th th this is just uh, emblematic of a better time uh, mm. in which films could just be dumb shit and like also not be tragically fucking offensive at the same time they were trying to be entertaining whereas yeah like we'll get into the second. I just want to talk about the second one. I don't even want to talk about the first one because it's just fine. I just well, want to get into the bit where I tell fucking another film apart. The thing, the thing is with Independence Day, I'm quite. I've I've got a big uh, bit of a soft spot for it because I also saw it in the cinema. Um, even though after the cinema, I was waiting to get picked up by my dad and I ended up getting punched by someone by accident. So even despite <laughs> that, I still have. <laughs> it, it, it was amazing. Like a gang w walked over to me and said, "You know." just charged someone hit me it's like no that's not the guy and then they ran off um, <laughs> weird time Liverpool. um but i mean I, I still really liked that film and actually the other thing was when we actually got to the cinema uh it was so popular i was on the front row so i ended up watching the white house blow up with my with my neck at like a beyond a 45 degree angle looking up at the cinema screen oh, and like sp spinal alley <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean it was IMAX before IMAX, really. But it was it, it was really still still quite a impressive film to watch. But when you watch kind of Emmerich's film trajectory, this is his first disaster movie in a proper kind of blowing shit up sort of way, and it, and it plays like a 
disaster movie like from the 70s like towering inferno or um uh, earthquake or something like that in that you've got these kind of different groups of people experiencing different disasters in different places yeah. and then the sci-fi bit kicks in towards the end and obviously it's all about aliens so you can't avoid that but it it, it does have that feel and then he went on to make um Godzilla, which is kind of the same thing, but with monsters instead of aliens. Um, Day After Tomorrow, which is the environment, and then 2012. And they've all got this kind of slight disaster movie vibe to them. Yeah, he's um, he, he definitely gets worse as he gets older. Like, <laughs> he has an increasing bloodlust. I would yeah. say like Independence Day is his, his difficult second album. I know he'd made like a bunch of films before he did Stargate, but Stargate was his yeah. first like big hit, I think. Yeah, and then this is the follow-up, if I remember rightly. And, but uh, he didn't get stuck in the Stargate mold. He got stuck in the disaster movie mold for some reason. I guess because this film was so much bigger, and he's like, "Well, better do that again fifteen times." You yeah, bought one pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. I think it's just like because the the fucking the the scene in this where they actually like blow the White House and everything else up. It's genuinely fucking iconic. I mean, it changed, mm. like, cinema history. It's in the trailer. Yeah, people uh, just went absolutely fucking wild for, like, how, like, just, like, well, iconic's the word for it, really. How, like, unique and fucking, like, good that that looked. It was, like, do you know what I mean? It was really a really impressive feat, and I think he's just been desperately trying and failing to recapture that glory as he goes on because he does he doesn't just just do disaster films he did like a film about stonewall which i found out about today while looking at his imdb oh yeah didn't he do one about shakespeare as well yes he did i he did one about how um like shakespeare was some other guy but the stonewall one was about a fictional white cis gay person who was like the the main person of stonewall yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, I did figure it would be shit. Like um, David Stonewall, he did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did the he did White House Down, which like was absolutely fucking shocking to me because when that year there was White House Down and Olympus and Olympus has Olympus fallen, has fallen <laughs> yeah. were coming out, and it was like okay, so there's two different people doing like White House Die Hard. One did Training Day and one did 2012. Oh, I wonder which of those like is going to be good. And I was, I was never, I've never been more wrong in my life. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> White House Down is like really entertaining, and Olympus Has Fallen is hot fucking dog shit. It's like <laughs> just staggering how uh, how badly things went there. But so he does. He, he he's generally, I think, like, I mean, White House Down suggests he's probably more comfortable not doing like the fucking big disaster stuff. I think maybe like you know he just he just he's held hostage by his own success there, because if there's one thing if there's one thing you could probably say about Hollywood it's that if someone does something good once and makes like a fucking like billions of dollars doing it they will insist on it being done over and over until like the wheels fall off. Yeah. <laughs> so Jamie, would you say like which would you say is Dante's Peak and which is Volcano <laughs> of those two films? <laughs> or if you want an older reference, which one's Kevin Costner's Robin Hood? Which one's Pat- Patrick Bergen's? If we're going to do the volcano one, it's whichever one has the asbestos dog in it, because yeah. that also applies in this. Yeah. Wait, what was the the other? Oh, the one we did for a previous film club with, with Justin Hancock, also from Ale, which is 
no strings attached and friends with benefits <laughs> also came out in <laughs> the same year as each other yeah I, lo- I love that phenomenon where like the two people just make the same it's just fuck it we're just you know what i mean someone clearly sold two studios the same script but we'll just we'll just post through it you know what i mean we'll... <laughs> But um, now we get back to Independence Day. It's I saw it three times in the cinema, back to back, because I was absolutely shit faced and I had nothing to do that <laughs> afternoon, and it was like three three quid for a fucking ticket back then. So I was just like, yeah, I'll just. Did you go out and come back in, or did you just stay in? Oh no, I, I went out and like went back in. Do you know what I mean? It was like I, I went out, checked my watch, went. I've still got time to kill, and just went back in, stay out of the sun. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um. It's not it's not a terrible film. I don't think it's aged especially well, but like some bits of it are good. Like the fucking like Jeff Goldblum's great. Will Smith's mm-hmm. great. Um mm-hmm. like Judd Hirsch is great. There's there's a lot mm-hmm. of like good performances in it and then it's sort of held together by like fucking just some absolute pish. Do you know what I mean? Like the the bit where they where they blow up the earth and like wipe out all the cities is fucking incredible. It's like I mean, I still like really fucking, do you know what I mean? Like really enraptured by it, watching it now, like 20 years later. Yeah. It's just genu- genuinely like a good, exciting bit of cinema. But then like at the end when they, they go, oh, all the, there's like millions of aliens coming down to land in spaceships. We better, oh no, look, we, we blew up the thing and the whole, the whole like fucking mothership exploded. And then all the, all the spaceships fell over because they just like, you know what I mean? They just kept going and kept going. And then they just went, oh, uh, we've been on two and a half hours now. Do we, do we want to wrap this up? And they just went like, oh, and then like they find the big button marked win and the film <laughs> ends. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's bits of it that are just fucking dreadful. Like the, I love, I absolutely fucking unironically love the bit where they get word out through Morse code to the rest of the world because the rest of the world appears to be still in 1940. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? You've got like British officers, like British wartime officers, like doing the proper like posh boy accent. And like when, when the spaceship crashes at the end, there's a bunch of tribesmen with spears, like looking oh, at it. And it's yeah. just like, how does this, That's... how is like, does this guy, is this guy just unaware of like world history? Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's... I, I mean, just... that's, that's starting to go into some of the racial politics <laughs> yeah. of the film as well. I do just love that they have like ships over the major world cities and it's like there's nods at like that other countries exist, but mostly it's like New York, LA. And, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, there's New York and Washington DC, which are actually very close together relative to like these A other huge ones big spaceship in yeah. the sky as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 I think that the fucking the whole like oh the whole world finds out about the plan and is like very happy that the Americans have decided to solve the problem thing is probably like <laughs> probably a bit do you know what I mean like he's deliberately trying to wind everyone up with that but there's he's no German as well there's no fucking there's like no excusing the bit at the end where like all the people of the world like come out of their like fucking do you know what I mean primitive stone mm-hmm. age shacks and cheer that the spaceships have crashed like. It's like I said, the, the fucking bit with the tribesmen with spears is just fucking absolutely like shocking. And it doesn't really get any better in the sequel, to be mm. fair. Oh, no, not at all. Someone needs to do like a Independence Day edit and just show that, just put it onto YouTube. And it's just the entire film as it is. But at the end, when they're all celebrating, they just cut to the Ewok celebrating on the moon of Endor as well. <laughs> 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 I mean, I would I would say 
Like if you, it, it's not it, the the first one's not a terrible film, and it's worth watching. It's worth seeing at least once if you haven't, because like I mm-hmm. said, the fucking the destruction sequence is just unbelie- an unbelievable achievement. Some yeah. of the best special effects you'll ever see, and also um, non CGI effects as well. That yeah. they do they do a lot of it with models. Yeah, I think some of the fucking like spaceships, like the the littler ones, are um you know when they're like having the actual dog fights. Yeah, the little flying saucers. I think some of those were CGI, if I remember a fucking making of documentary I saw like twenty years ago. Yeah, it's a it's a mix. Um, but the the thing is, you you watch other films from that period as well because Jurassic Park does this very well, in that you you have some CGI and you have some effects, and they don't overdo the CGI too much. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm like not a guy who says you shouldn't ever like it's like practical effects are always better than CGI. Um, because I don't think that's like true. I think the issue is that like practical effects, like if you do practical effects cheaply, they look mm. better than cheap CGI. Yeah, yeah. and like yeah. the problem, the problem with CGI is like in the nineties, it was there was a lot of like shit CGI around, but when it was used well, like in a good film, you didn't mm. notice it. Mm. But once it got established as like, oh, here's this, like, we, computers are now finally good enough that we don't need to flip a car for a TV show. We can just, like, digitally render it. <laughs> yeah. Spin the cop instead. Yeah, and then suddenly it's like, right, okay, now that, like, now that CGI houses have taken over the special effects industry, fuck everyone's wages. They can do 80 films a week and like it. And now yeah. it's all, yeah. like, now you, know, you notice it all because it's, like, dog shit done by people who were overworked and underpaid. Yeah, because that's that. That's the thing. It was unionized stunt coordinators getting replaced yeah. by ununionized CGI yeah. artists. And the other yeah. thing is, you can't be telling someone who's been doing practical events, uh, practical effects, to change it two weeks before the release. Mm. Yeah, there is that as well. Like, yeah. But um, I mean, if you want, if you want a, a much like a much better and because one thing I'll say about both these films is that Roland Emmerich has no idea how people talk to each other. <laughs> the dialogue in both films is fucking I mean it's much worse than the sequel to be fair but it is fucking horrendous um, if you want a much a much like a, a take on like Alien Invasion with much more likeable and believable characters you should watch Attack the Block yeah oh that's a very good film it's a, a fucking incredible film but Roland Emmerich does do the clever thing of, of hiding some of that dialogue issues by hiring Jeff Goldblum to say it yeah, I mean, if he'd have got Christopher Walken in as well, it would have been a masterstroke. <laughs> I mean, like, there's, like I said, there's there's a lot of annoying characters across both films, but I think like the fucking uh, the absolute like master of like just boiling my piss with everything that came out of his mouth is Harry Connick Jr. in the first one. It's <laughs> like fucking yeah. like Will Smith's like fucking wingman Jimmy Knobhead or whatever the fuck he was called, because he is just the the worst fucking prick like ever. He's just so fucking aggravating harry connick jr is is responsible for the worst song i've ever heard um <laughs> which he, he he released a song because um he, he fancied himself as like a bit of a sinatra like uh guy at one point and he released a song called the recipe for making love and oh, no. <laughs> oh fuck does he it does it if at any point in that song he uses the word stir and i'm gonna find him right now bake him a cake <laughs> Well, <laughs> would you like to to hear what the first verse is? Just, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
if I'm being honest, no. <laughs> it's a little bit of me and a whole lot of you. Add a dash of starlight and a dozen roses too. Then let it rise for a hundred years or two. And that's a recipe for making love. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a hundred years or two is a bit long to be spending on yeah. foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the, the lyrics are just, oh, they get worse every verse. It's amazing. I, I, you, you just triggered a memory in, in, in the back of my head that, that this existed, and then it's like, oh my god, this is awful. Uh, it oh, this isn't something you prepared, Matt, for the episode. No, I literally Googled it. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't need sugar because it's already sweet. It doesn't need an oven because it's got a lot of heat. Uh, oh, just add a dash of kisses hell. to make it all complete, and that's a recipe for making love. Oh my god. Um Fucking hell. Yeah. He does actually have one decent moment in the film where. Dying. For that. And. <laughs> also, the bit where someone thinks he's proposing to Will Smith in the. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's actually like. That's actually set up. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're going to do. We're going to do a gay joke. Let's like lay the groundwork. But it's but... also like they get to that scene and neither of them seem bothered about the assumptions someone's made about them. It's like. It's kind of a gay joke, but it's also like, yeah, like, yeah. who cares if someone thinks they're gay? Yeah, to be honest, they have far more issue with like Jasmine being a stripper than... Well, the, the, I would say, well, not to foreshadow the Comradio episode too much, mm. but <laughs> this, this film seems a lot more positive about Jasmine and also about yeah. strippers. Yes, I would actually agree with that. I think, like, it gets weirdly into that any stripper's boss is, like, making them do it and, in a way, not coercing them through them just needing money like anybody else needs money, but, like, a you know, strippers have mi minimal agency kind of thing. And there's obviously that, oh, let's have a big shocker between the first lady going, oh, I love, I love ballet, um, to a woman that works as a stripper. Um but I also thought it was quite interesting that following the film, like apparently loads of people really went all out on like dolphin jewellery and stuff um, because it had actually given Jasmine quite a positive light. And one of the big things was like, okay, you know, you're getting this constant thing of you don't marry the stripper. And then it like, it's a big moment of actually you do marry the stripper because she's still, you know, a good and a great person. And like, she's got a high amount of value, which you don't, yeah, but I, like I, you know, there's there's like bits that I think aren't great, but in the main, it treated her character pretty well. All in all, I thought the the character for the first lady got a far worse deal in that, like, you're going, oh, yeah. let's just <laughs> kill her off for the fun of it. Let's see. In my notes, where is it? I I I think I said, is this fridging? <laughs> it feels an awful lot like fridging. Another precedent for resurgence. The thing is, they don't even, like, they make this thing about the president being like a family man and he loves his wife and all of that kind of thing. But also, it doesn't feel like his motivation really comes from her dying. It's like, a, that's a sad thing for him. I think maybe his motivation yeah. to get in the plane does. Yeah, I suppose. It didn't feel like an all-out fridge to me. Like, the, no. bad, but not More like an all-out. His entire motivation is from, you know, his wife dying. It felt like a fridging, and then they forgot to give him any kind of emotional consequence of it. 
Yeah. So yeah, we're we're gonna kill the president's wife to make him feel sad. He won't feel sad though. Yeah, not that sad because like he still yeah. like really loves being with his boys and and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and he still really loves America. <laughs> yeah. Well, do we want to talk about some of the politics in the film, as in like the actual politics of the president and what? Because it's a liberal film almost, but there's like hints about some people's politics in the film but it's never outright stated so i I was just going to say going back to the cgi issue and the fact that it's quite practical that means that the more um practical you get on that the more you have to work with the american military because it's it's a very fighter jetty kind of movie isn't it i mean i someone was telling when i said like to someone that i was watching these someone was telling me that apparently for the first film the uh i think i've actually i think i actually remember reading this somewhere as well i think now that i met now that i mentioned it but the first film the army told them they had to like take out all the references to area 51 <laughs> and they just like they just told them to get fucked and like and didn't like didn't get the army's like help but then the second one supposedly they fucking just like let the army like write the script for them yeah am i right in thinking they had those ads running bef- like in 2016 they had those ads running before it came out of like join the army or, or or like like actual sort of recruitment ads for the second film which they didn't have that same kind of thing for the first at all very weird wouldn't surprise me in the slightest i was raised in idaho but i was made in area 51 <laughs> <laughs> but i mean like he's he's definitely a democrat right he does um is he yeah, because he's done healthcare reform and he's done environment well, reform. <laughs> and, the Democrats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but like, yeah. I think he's definitely intended to be a Democrat. Like, from all the he's big on on reforms that are positive, kind of. See, I I said that he strikes. I never learned his name as well, so I was calling him Bill or Paulman. But he strikes me as a Democrat because the Republicans never worry about appearing tough or decisive. So, like, Donald Trump is quote-unquote bitchy and obsessed with petty tabloids disputes, but he's still somehow seen as masculine. Whereas, like, Joe Biden is like, everyone just thinks he, or the Republican voters and enthusiasts just think he's the softest man on earth. Uh, As a general rule, it tends to be, depending on who the president is at the time, the the presidential characters tend to mirror that. So he's like a less sleazy Bill Clinton. So that that would make uh, Jasmine a Republican voter then. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, that. well, that, I mean, that, that's the thing I thought because the other thing is like, I mean, you could pitch him being Republican, I think, because there's this whole thing about like how he has to make deals in order to try and get things through, and I think usually in film you get like the the. It's the deals president. <laughs> well, yeah, less that and more that usually in film, if a president's being held up by the committees and by having to make agreements, the president's more likely to be Republican. Um, so they kind of, I, I suppose you could like go the other way on it. But I think with any film where they have like the president as a sort of like fairly central character, but the film doesn't directly reveal, like doesn't directly deal with politics then they just sort of like they like have a tendency to not like to act as if there aren't two parties in America. <laughs> Third way, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Like they just do you know what I mean? Like he could he could be Republican or he could be Democrat and his opponent could have been either. 
It's it's not really like you know what I mean. It, politics would be better if it was like the West Wing and everyone just got along and like, compromised. And so oh, this yeah. like takes place in an idealized mm. America where both both parties are centrists. Mm. See, I did I, that was one of the things I my last note on this film was some real Sorkin esque shit in that speech. <laughs> oh, that fucking speech is dreadful. Yeah, and it's like the iconic thing from uh, apart from blowing up the White House, but it's one of the iconic things from the film is that speech. Just, just back on the, the the blowing up of the White House, but the thing that I find most interesting there, or like most impressive about it, is that it took another five years to see practical effects on an American big building. Like again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was gonna like credit fucking uh, the director with inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> Will we go through the plot synopsis on Wikipedia because that's always a good place to fucking spin off into little bits. So on July 2nd, 1996, an enormous extraterrestrial mothership enters Earth's orbit and deploys multiple saucers, each 15 miles, brackets 24 kilometers, wide, <laughs> over major cities worldwide. Before, before that, though, you get the shot of it like coming over the plaque on yes. the moon where they came in peace for all mankind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that, that clearly fucking yeah. worked. But... um. The, the the thing's going across and all the dust is like shaking and I'm like, is is it like is the vibration carrying through a vacuum there? I'm, I'm not I'm unclear on exactly what's supposed to be going on there. But a, a thing a thing that I did like fucking say watching the second one was I, I want like Roland Emmerich to just learn anything about <laughs> physics, just any one thing about physics. Doesn't matter what it is, just start with one like one simple physics fact, just we'll any. Work out you know from I mean? there because like. Yeah, because he's he's obsessed with no. the fucking moon, right? It, like, it, it's in it's in like this one that, that like you know you see the shot on the, the plaque on the moon, and they talk about how the spaceship's one fourth the size of our moon or some shit. And uh, the second one like features the moon quite heavily, and then he's done that fucking moonfall. And one of his earlier films was about like a helicopter fucking squadron mm. on the moon or something. The, when I was looking at the synopsis, the, the rumors of Roland Emmerich being a werewolf have been going around for a long time now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for someone who's so like obsessed with the moon, he knows fuck all about how it works. Uh, um, so yeah, the, the saucers go over major cities worldwide, including New York City, Los Angeles, and Washington DC. Cities worldwide. Yeah, um, this is that. I mean, yeah. no, rewatching it, I was like doing that, and I was like, oh my god! And obviously, it's such an American film with doing the Independence Day thing in the first place. But I do love how much they're like, this is the known world, really. Is um is bloodlust at this point was actually just directed entirely inwards on America. It's only after that he's realised that it's not America that's the problem; it's humanity, and that's why his later <laughs> films are the way they are. But like like I said, he's. German born, so maybe it was just some kind of revenge for something. I don't know what, but, uh... but who, who could say? Who could possibly <laughs> say what that might be? Um, US Marine Captain Stephen Hiller, Will Smith, is deployed despite being on leave. His girlfriend, Jasmine Dubrow, uh, decides to flee Los Angeles with her son, Dylan. Can we just pause there for a second? Yes. There's a lot skipped now, over in that. That's very yeah. simplified. Well, that's the point. The point I want to make is there is lots to get over there. I I made the mistake of watching the extended cut, which was just longer, too long. <laughs> but yeah, how how long how long is the extended oh, cut? I, I I deleted it, so I don't know. The <laughs> second I finished that film, I deleted it. But the black main character doesn't appear in that until twenty two minutes into into it. 
So like that, a worrying precedent set for the importance of black characters in these films. Uh, fuck me. No, we did not watch it. It's 153 minutes, the extended Wow. Mm -hmm. No need for that. No, there really is That not. is the one we watched. Is it? 153 minutes is two and a half hours. Yeah, only extended by eight minutes. Yeah, it was only eight minutes, so it was it was two oh, hours twenty so something the one we watched. I don't feel so bad about no. it now. <laughs> but yeah, it's twenty two minutes before Will Smith appears in the film. Yeah. Um, eight minutes of extended and additional footage, bringing it to one hundred fifty three minutes. Though the scenes include the first dialogue between President Whitmore and Constance Spano was extended. <laughs> I I just wow. like the idea that somewhere out there's Independence Day Redux, which adds an extra hour and a half. Well, there's also a, a deleted alternate scene of Russell's suicide attack. <laughs> cool. What? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if he does it twice or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't know. He whatever. actually, he actually right. just makes it up, uh, gets out of the cockpit, and then has a uh, <laughs> have a semi-improvised device that he's strapped to himself. <laughs> I really like the um, the the scene where Will Smith goes outside and like everyone's just like staring in awe at the. The, the ship that's hovering over the city and like you know they're all fucking packing their bags and shit and he just goes out doesn't realize what's happening at all goes picks up the newspaper yeah does that kind of slow look to either side of people just being weird and then i'm finally looking up and it's like that's all well and good but how the fuck did they miss the thing in the first place because it was in his direct eye line the whole time he was walking out <laughs> that's the uh that's the um fucking like walking dead rules for for like you can only things only exist while they're on yeah. camera. Wiley Coyote rule then. This brings me to my theory that Will Smith actually just needed glasses because, like, hundred <laughs> percent, when I wander around the house and I've not put my glasses on, that is like I would not see those things <laughs> until you get like to the point of close enough. It's all just a blurry thing in the distance. Yeah. So yeah. She'd be like, "Oh, it looks looks stormy out today." <laughs> exactly. Um, in New York City. David Levinson, which is Jeff Goldblum's character, uh, an MIT-trained satellite technician, which like is a, a bit of an embellishment on what he's like constantly made out to be, which is a cable repair guy, uh, decodes a signal embedded within global satellite transmissions. Well, they use they use cables on satellites. They do. I think. They do. <laughs> that, that is notably true, and also notably true for Americans to use cable incorrectly as a term. Yeah. That's 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 what my GCSE in fucking like global communications told me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he realizes that the uh, signal is uh, the aliens' countdown for a coordinated attack. And then, with help from his ex-wife, who is the White House communications director, Constance Spano, David Not and a his great father. Deal of help. Yeah. She David, does hang up on him the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just that's that's government being fucking useless. Another constant theme of uh, Roland Emmerich's films is that the government is absolutely dog shit any time it tries to touch any sort of big thing. Which <laughs> he's to some degree accurate on, but he's ideological about it. Do we think in this world that there's all different uh, cable repairmen who are all figuring this out, but none of them have the connections of Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> <laughs> Could be, yeah. I mean, if I, if I know... If I know IT guys, they would have just like found the simplest and easiest solution. And it's like, yeah, okay, it, it, like it's actually we can filter this out, or we could warn the president that we're about to be killed by aliens, and you'd just be like, that's above my pay grade, mate. Just filter it out. Well, it's, it's either that, or 
none of them have touched a woman before and Jeff's the only one that's got a wife who happens to be working in the White House. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, with, with help from her, uh, David and his father Julius reached the Oval Office and alert President Thomas Whitmore. That's his name. Yeah, yeah, President, President Whitmore. It's not Biden when you watch the second film. Don't think it's Biden. You may be wondering, <laughs> confused, but it's not President Biden. I mean, he's about... He's about- 60 years younger and a lot more cogent yeah <laughs> yeah I mean you'd forgive Biden a lot of his sins if, if, if he'd been like psychically attacked by an alien <laughs> at some point in the past so I, like, while this is all going on like the the White House obviously knows that oh, there's these fucking things in orbit and then you know they, they come over the cities and they're like yeah you, you can evacuate if you want i suppose you don't have to but it's probably fine very very much a prescient observation of what might the cdc do in events which was you know <laughs> cool if credit yeah. where it's due you, you called that one right i suppose uh and yeah so the evacuations are eventually ordered but it's too late um there's there is the amazing line in there from his name Firestein. I can't remember the character's name. Where he's like, "Got to save my mum. Got to save someone else. Got to save my lawyer. Forget my lawyer." <laughs> oh, which is, yeah. he was, he was. I, I genuinely like, really like that actor. He turned up in every film in the nineties yeah. as the gay guy. <laughs> the only other thing I can but remember him from is Mrs. Doubtfire, which, like, when you're watching this, is a kind of weird touchstone to have for the guy. But like, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Harvey Firestein, which is an un- unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want to be any kind of Harvey Stein, do you? No. At this point. Well, you know what I mean? Like, fire is like the opposite element to wine. Or something. <laughs> like, mortal, mortal enemies or some shit. I like, I like the bit where they send the helicopter up with a light bright on each yeah, side of it. Yeah, that's, that's good. To try and, like, fucking, do you know what I mean? They don't, they don't even, like, attempt to draw a dick, which is, like, the one thing you would really think a pilot would try yeah. to do if you gave them that power. <laughs> You know what I mean? Remember, you've got the whole the whole of the like population of the Earth depending on you here to make a good first impression with these aliens, and you just get up there and immediately draw goats. <laughs> I mean, using one of them is kind of like fair enough if you know it's Roland Emmerich again, and obviously the first thing that he's going to think of: how would you communicate? You know, what form would you use? You would use something that Moonanites would understand. So yeah, fair play. Uh, so yeah, they, they order the evacuation when the the countdown things made clear to the president, but it's too late. And then you get all the not nine elevens happen. Uh, so you know, big fucking building in New York's destroyed. Yeah, you don't you you don't get to call them nine elevens if they happen before nine yeah, eleven. Yeah, yeah. Um, two four four twos, seven twos, seven twos. It's a seven two. Um, yeah. So uh, the Cool practical effects happen, killing millions, <laughs> and then um, Air Force One manages to get away, and uh, Jasmine, Dylan, and the dog, the asbestos dog Boomer, uh, hide in <laughs> a, a tunnel corridor. That is an amazing leap by the dog, though. That is such. The, yeah. I love that they put that moment in for the dog, like yeah. a classic <laughs> action movie moment: yeah. someone diving away just in time from an explosion, and it's a dog. It's like a rule a rule in the nineties though that like no matter what the fucking disaster is, the dog has to survive. Like at the end of Dante's Peak where they crash the fucking like truck into a mine shaft and are trapped there for like days until the rescuers come and that like luckily they had a sandwich with them or something so they didn't have to eat the dog. <laughs> I really I really like how they did the um 
like thinking back to that fucking like making of documentary I saw <laughs> fucking like decades ago, the way they did the like fire like rolling through the city is they built a fucking model like a scale model of the city, tipped it on its side, and then just like fired a flamethrower up it from the bottom and slowed that nice. down. And it, it it does continue. It does start the uh, Roland Emmerich trend of uh, being chased by elements as well. Um, <laughs> be- is it ice in twenty? Exactly. Yeah. 2012? No yeah. day after tomorrow. Day after they're being tomorrow. chased by ice, which is freezing everything behind it. And yeah, yeah, ice, ice, and claymation yes. wolves. <laughs> if we want to go back to how like bad CGI looks like fucking dog shit. Or in that case, bad CGI looks like shit dogs. But but yeah, I do think there's there's some sort of uh, study about Roland Emmerich's fear of the elements. It's not it's not his fear. It's not a fear that he has of these things. He has an intense want to weaponize them. Like, you're not you're not giving the guy enough agency in this. Like he's not showing these these things that he thinks he's afraid of. He's showing these things that he wants to happen to us. <laughs> yeah, because surely 2012 that's water as well. Yeah. 2012's a bit of everything. Yeah. Like, mm. he, he kind of tries to play all the hits in 2012, except the moon, obviously, which he's saving for a, a worse thing down the line. Um, <laughs> so on July 3rd, we know it's July 3rd because there's big, super bold silver lettering that comes up that says July 3rd. Yeah. Um, counterattacks against the invaders are thwarted by the alien warship's force fields. Uh, and then we get, like, just... Like, yeah, a fine attempt, which is, like, you know, re- repeated in the worst fucking way. Um, it's George Lucas in the second one, which, we'll, we'll, again, I'm trying not to talk about the second one. Don't do that. Um, so they, they have a dog fight with the, the, the little alien fighters and the jets that are launched. Harry Connick Jr. eats shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's much-deserved shit, quite frankly. It's in a really weird way. Like, he's just takes his mask off at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, he just, like, he, he just forgets how to fly a fucking <laughs> yeah. plane. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I haven't, like, not not until um, The Phantom Menace did someone try and do a cool trick and simply turn the throttle in one direction to do it. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm going to try something. Slowly pulls up. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like, Will Smith's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, planes don't work like that. Uh, yeah. And then he takes then he takes the mask off and Will Smith's like, what are you, what are you fucking doing? Get back in the plane. Like he's out on the wing. You know what I mean? Like breathing breathing into a paper bag. Just fucking He's just hanging out there with a little gremlin, William Shatner screaming about him. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe the alien used its psychic powers to just like remove all of his Air Force training. And he's just like a panic at like, why am I in a plane? Just convincing me he was in the film Hot Shots. Yeah. Uh, the uh, next thing that happens is that there's a, a much smaller scale dogfight between uh, Will Smith and another one of them, and he gets it to chase him down a canyon. Purposely crashes his plane after like deploying the parachute on it so that the, the alien can't see because th- they've got this far through space and they still rely on windows, um, <laughs> which you can recycle that joke later if you want. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake and uh, yeah that, that ship crashes and then you get the uh, and then Will Smith breaks both of his legs in a parachute yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then punches the alien unconscious and gives us the um, welcome to earth line yeah the, the one much much maligned by 4chan racists yeah. everywhere yeah 
that that does show us the design of the alien right at the beginning. It is a very good alien design. I do have it to is. give them credit for that. It is. I like it. Um, and also practical in this one. Is that is that the first one we see? Is that yeah. the very first time we see it, or do we see them in the vats before this? Yeah. No, we no, see that after. That. That's yeah. after that that we get the big, actually, Area 51 really was a conspiracy and the government really is hiding things, including from the president. Mm-hmm. And then we get to see the next one. Yeah. But yeah, because the ones in the vat are revealed like almost immediately before Will Smith turns up with that one in the back of a truck. Yes, yeah. But it, it, I should say it's, it's an alien design, but it's not the alien, is it? No, they're wearing like fucking, they're wearing an Iron Man suit made out of yeah. snot. It's <laughs> the best way to describe it like. It's weird because even though it's kind of a exoskeleton, they've, they've still got their tentacles sticking out the back, mm-hmm. which just seems like yeah. a design flaw. <laughs> well, you need to use your tentacles. Mm. Yeah, well, the, the technology hadn't been developed for like fucking, do you know what I mean? Like uh, Dr. Octopus yet, was it? That was like 2002. That's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, HR Giggles, um, Dr. Octopus. Uh, so next thing <laughs> we get is uh, that, yeah, he, um, the president uh, and, and co, which is, you know, he's got fucking a real cut along, um, they find out that Area 51 is real and they go there and they get to see the now refurbished Roswell ship. They get to meet Adam Baldwin when he was normal. <laughs> <laughs> Before Twitter made him into the insane, like, fucking, do you know what I mean, dickhead that he that we know and love. Uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, they, they, they see the ship that crashed at Roswell, which it turns out is one of the alien fighters, and, yeah, the three alien corpses that they've got pickled uh, in, in vats. Nice. They, meet, they meet Lieutenant Commander Data as well, yes, don't they? they who, do. has, <laughs> who has let himself go in furnace at this point, because the hair is everywhere. <laughs> Mm, yeah, yeah. I really, I really like that sort of character archetype. You don't see it much, but the one where it's like the the government, like the, the government conspiracy scientist who's like clearly got the job, clearly good enough that he's allowed to dress how he fucking well pleases <laughs> on the job. Do you know what I mean? Everyone else around him looks like they're working for the fucking like like government, but he just looks like they just found him in a shed somewhere, growing his own crack or something like that. You know, it's like. <laughs> He's, he's fully a guy who has a degree from Unseen University. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, did you say growing his own crack? <laughs> I did, yeah. He's that good. <laughs> Isn't there next to Mike Ashley growing his own concrete? <laughs> or like Mike Gray. What one is it? Mike, Mike yeah, Graham. Mike yeah, Mike Ashley's in it as well for some reason. He's got bored of, bored of selling sports equipment. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, Will Smith drags the corpse of the alien back and parachute somehow, somehow. Somehow, let's just go with that. Somehow, yeah, he runs in. He runs into. Um, he runs into fucking the like Randy Quaid RV convoy. Yeah. yeah, the RV convoy like led by fucking Randy Quaid and his son, the rabbit from Donnie Darko. <laughs> <laughs> Which for some reason hasn't been mentioned once this entire time in this synopsis. Not just the son from Donnie Darko, but also the horniest girl on earth. <laughs> yeah. I had that little girl just wants to fuck. 
I can't wait to fucking use that out of context <laughs> against you. Yeah, I was going to say. But like, there's, there's at the beginning of the film where there's the, there's that really shitty teen boy that's like, well, we could be dying. You don't want to die a virgin, do you? And then she's like moved on to someone else like 15 minutes later after mm. they've left that place. And she's like, and then like at the end of the film, it turns into a weird abstinence moral story where some guy's like, no, I'm not going to fuck you. I'm not, it, uh, I'd, I'm happy to die with you or something. Or I can't remember what he says, but it's like, oh, this is the good teen boy that doesn't want to just take advantage of this very horny girl who's about to maybe die. You're, you're making it sound like airplane there. Because <laughs> there's, there's that uh, comes a joke, right? And I've never been with a man before. <laughs> and it's just like there's like a cue for me. But yeah, to get back to Will Smith, he's dragging the fucking alien across yeah. the de- like across the salt flats in a parachute, and then he stops to absolutely bat a fuck out of it because it stinks. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I just, I just love it. Like, you know what I mean? He's just absolutely like toe capping the shit out of it. <laughs> and it, which is like kind of unfair because like most of us would probably stink if we were being dragged across a desert unconscious. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, also, he does knock out the salient in one punch. Yeah. An mm-hmm. alien with some kind of exoskeletal armor. Yeah, but it's like sharks. Do you know what I mean? Like, in their natural habitat, they, they never meet a Will Smith, so they're just not like they're not adapted to being punched in the face. Much like Chris Rock. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Uh, I, was, I was holding so, back yeah. on the Chris Rock joke. <laughs> so they get the he gets that back with the RV convoy, and then Data starts to uh, dissect the thing, and it wakes up. What I love is when he when he gets to Area Fifty One and the guy's like he's like fucking oh I'm a captain and the guy salutes him and he's like well you kind of come in though because it's like top secret we're not really here we're just a mirage and he's like right come and look at this and he shows him the alien and the guy's like I'm not fucking dealing with that get in there. you know what I mean but my pay grade that like that's fuck an off. incredibly heavy ID to be carrying around though isn't it yeah uh, and it, that's when we get the fun scene where. Uh, Data starts doing the um, the autopsy. Yeah, the, the autopsy yeah. on the thing they haven't confirmed yeah, is dead, yeah. and I, and was clearly alive before it got alive. punched. He expressly asks, "How long has it been unconscious?" He knows, and yet he persists yeah. because he's just that much of a mad scientist guy. <laughs> I'd love that you just use the phrase they use for Elizabeth Warren about him just wanting to cut open an alien. <laughs> What I um, what I like really annoyed me about that scene is one of the scientists working with him is like fucking breakdown guy from every film in the nineties, and he doesn't have like a, a huge on screen breakdown in this. <laughs> I was very disappointed because like I was like, oh, it's that yeah, guy smashing your expectations, Jamie. Just underusing him, you know what I mean? He's, uh... So yeah, the, the alien wakes up and its tentacles everywhere, and um, Brent Spiner ends up against a glass wall, and there might be something to read into that. I don't know. Yeah, now it's sounding horny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it starts using uh, him as a puppet. The alien starts using him as a puppet to speak through because they don't have mouths um, and they cannot scream. And then it launches a psychic attack against the president, which is the, the exact wording of this on the Wikipedia. And I feel like that's both simultaneously not doing it justice and also overselling it in quite a way at the same time. 
Yeah, the 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 aliens. It's it's well established in this in the sequel that the method the aliens use to communicate is migraines. <laughs> I I would have just liked it if the first thing he used uh, data to communicate with just that for fuck's sake I was unconscious. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Where is the cunt who punched me? One v one, mate. The the first thing the alien picks up is like meet me in the car park. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, yeah, the, the 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 they shoot the alien and and that's that sorted out. But well, what's happened? Um, the president has learned all about them. Yeah, it it psychically transferred plot plot <laughs> into his brain, and now he's going to relay it to the yeah, rest of us. And then there's, there's there's some great tell don't show a device that is well overused in the fucking sequel. Oh, fuck that hell. that film was about ninety percent. But like ninety percent weight of just people going. Well, you'll remember when, and then explaining yeah. their backstory. If you've enjoyed this section of the podcast where I read out the plot synopsis from Wikipedia, fuck me, you'll love the second film. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, so it, it's it's good here because they obviously like went back for the second one and changed this a little bit. But um, the the invaders plan to annihilate Earth's inhabitants and steal their natural resources. So keep keep natural resources in mind. Um, we'll come back to what those resources are uh, and then they decide that they're going to attack uh, Houston refuse to call it the way that they say it's called Houston um, <laughs> but uh, they so they nuke that they just nuke the city and they're like everybody's probably gone Blake is probably fine fuck it and it doesn't work so then everyone gets really sad. See, I like with that that they do do the, like, let's have the president make a tough moral choice and the right way to have gone there is definitely nuke everything. Yeah, that's, that's how you know he's a centrist. That's how you know that it's an ideal centrist world because he had to make a tough decision. What I wanted to know is, like, is this film anti-nuke because Jeff Goldblum is obviously anti-nuke? Or... Like, is the nuke deployed in the plot as, like, an apolitical demonstration of the alien's power? Uh, no, it's actually, um, it's pro-nuke, but only under certain circumstances. It's as a warning? Yeah, it, it's, it's no first-use policy, but definitely still pro-nuke. position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nukes are fine if you hand-deliver them. <laughs> You know, I don't want Royal Mail taking on that business model. <laughs> you say that, you'll very quickly become an overly powerful union if you do certain things. <laughs> well, 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 we, we open them up and we just mutate. <laughs> Xavier's home for unionised mutants. Uh, there's a reason why GMB is still loved by a lot of the right wing of Labour. Mm. Just it, stands for genetically, it stands for genetically modified boys. <laughs> <laughs> Grossly mutated. So, yeah, uh, we also cut back to uh, Jasmine and Dylan, who have commandeered a highway maintenance truck and they rescue a handful of survivors, including a critically injured first lady, uh, Marilyn Whitmore. Uh, this is like, like paths crossing again. Like, we, we yeah. had it with Will Smith meeting up with. Randy Quaid, and now we've got it with uh, President and Jasmine, or pre- uh, President's wife and Jasmine meeting up. Like these uh, almost impossible crossing of paths that are going to cross over again and again and again until they're all in one place. Huh. Yeah. The rule of um, Mary McDonald's career is that she should never be allowed anywhere near a presidency. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very toxic to her in fairness. <laughs> I mean, I will say, actually, it's quite funny that this film, because you've got like, a named first lady, Marilyn Whitmore, and because you've got Jasmine, and then also earlier on you have Jasmine's friend, Tiffany, it, this film actually passes the Bechdel tw- test twice. So very easy to do. Yeah. Kind of, which is the point of it, right? That it's very easy to do and very few or a lot of films fail. You know, then you see like later on, obviously, it's like the women having to watch as their men bravely venture out into danger. Um, and it is so like just let's go for every possible trope of relationships in a disaster yeah. there that we can. But like, but it's fine though. Like in the second film, we remedy that with girl boss shit. So it's okay. Yes. Total girl buster. <laughs> and not to foreshadow again too much, but let's check back in on all of these relationships in the second film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, they uh, get rescued by Will Smith, who steals a helicopter and goes back to the base where Jasmine was going to go to to meet him um, and she also obviously has the first lady with her now so he takes them back and then the first lady's there and then she just dies like uh, rescue her but she's dead so okay and uh, the president looks kind of sad about that and the the whole like shall we impart this grief onto the daughter in any way shape or form no we'll just we'll just keep that off camera there's no need for that in the film um <laughs> And that's he just fine. shrugs it off. To be fair, that sort of thing's hard to write. I can imagine it probably is. Um, but at the same time, Kevin. And shit. you've seen how the guy struggled. You've seen how the guy struggles with like normal conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but he he does just shrug it off as well, which again makes me wonder if he is based on Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we get the, the, the tells us the day again. It's now July fourth, and Jeff Goldblum's steaming, and his dad says he doesn't want to catch a cold. And from this, uh, the plot jumps about three fucking <laughs> three full mental leaps to the point of ah, computer virus uh, that Jeff Goldblum then writes for his laptop, his nineteen ninety six laptop. To disrupt the Alien <laughs> Shield's operating system, <laughs> and I, I'm just for a little note. I'm just looking at um because it's on Wikipedia. Computer virus, laptop, and operating system are all blue links that I can click, which I just thought was quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so device... if you read those free articles, you could also bring down an alien mothership. Yeah, that's all it take. That's it. Uh, and yeah, he devises a plan to upload it into the mothership from the refurbished alien fighter, which Will Smith volunteers to pilot. Like, if they'd done a little bit of explaining, they could probably have said, well, we've been studying the computers on this alien ship for a long time, and we've yeah, deciphered they... from them some kind of programming like, or anything. Okay, but like, what, what, you fail to, what you fail to understand is that no one in Hollywood knows what a computer <laughs> is. Yeah. Let alone how they work. So, like, as far as they're as far as they're aware, and as far as they they consider the audience to be aware, a computer is just a magic box. So, presumably, one magic box can talk to another. They've got no idea, like the the, the insides of the different magic boxes, like have differences. Why would that be? Do you know what I mean? In, in the extended edition, they're uh, offered two options for this. One is to upload the virus. The other one is to make sure that they're all kind of. Uh, hunkered down for four years and then the Y2K bug will kick in. 
What I like about the scene where he demonstrates his computer virus is that they get fucking Adam Baldwin to shoot, try and shoot a Coke can off the alien spaceship. Mm. You know what I mean? They're just like, that Coke can said you were woke. And then just like, <laughs> like you know? That Coke can said women should be characters in video games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the planning's in place in that. So the US military contacts surviving airborne squadrons around the world through Morse code to organise a united counteroffensive. Which, yeah, gives us um, fucking... By Jove, the Yanks have a plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, one of them said it's about time or something, as if, you know, full on, oh, well, the British can't do anything until the Americans say so. Which, again, I mean, this is I mean, pre-9-11, which is very funny. Pre-2003 as well, the Iraq mm-hmm, War. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, just, just fucking great. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> We were getting tired of sitting around and just noncing all the time. <laughs> well, there's a there's a fucking shot in the second. There's a shot in the second one where they have a video call with all the world leaders, and like the fucking guy from England is just like the casting director went, "I need the most British noncing you can find." <laughs> no, that's too British. <laughs> oh. Just picked him up from the satanic zone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lacking pilots, uh, the president and General William Gray enlist volunteers with flight experience, including retired combat pilot Russell Case, who was the one that picked up Will Smith earlier, and who has been previously abducted by aliens. Which again, I feel it's mad that we've got this far through the synopsis and that just hasn't come up yet, uh, because it's the best yeah. scene in the whole fucking film. When, Are we when supposed to think that, that he actually got abducted by aliens, or yes. was he? Yes. Right, so I wasn't sure if we were this supposed is to think redemption arc for a guy who flew in Vietnam, and I wonder what he was yeah. doing while he was flying planes in Vietnam. Yeah, <laughs> crop crop dusting of a sort. <laughs> <laughs> like that whole character is just like redeem Vietnam. But but like, that's I it. wasn't sure if he was supposed to be just a person who had some kind of mental health incident where he thought he was abducted by aliens and now he's getting revenge on some completely different and actually <laughs> real aliens <laughs> no i think i think the whole thing is and it's and it's why they're able to do the redemption with his kids as well is like that he's gone from being this guy that was horribly abused and and like had suffered and nobody believed him and therefore they blamed him for things and then it turns out it's okay because he was right all along the bad guys were real and they were really bad and so he was doing the right thing when he was then a bad person i think it's more ambiguous than that that's the message i felt (laughs) no i i thought it was that that aliens do exist so it kind of could have happened yeah also, I don't think there's any amount of trauma that really justifies drinking and flying a plane. <laughs> I think I think it's it's meant to be that he was abducted by those aliens because that's why they have the the spaceship from Roswell and it's like all the conspiracy theories about aliens and the American government. Turns out they're real. True yeah. In this, in this film, yeah. What a character. So it would it would be it would be very entertaining if there was like if because they were they they obviously at the, the end of the sequel they try to they try to like give you a hook to kickstart the the independence day cinematic universe <laughs> and it would be it would be cool if we just had like endless invasions from slightly different types of like aliens you know what i mean <laughs> well, who do you think's got worse politics uh the randy quaid or Adam henry kissinger 
Uh, I mean, probably Adam Baldwin. <laughs> I mean, because I, I think Adam Adam Baldwin gives you the impression that he's arrived at those like conclusions like on his own, whereas Randy Quaid j- just genuinely seems like like untreated mental yeah, illness. Yeah, he's just stumbled down the stairs and just hit his head hard enough to think that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Anyway, um, the fucking the fly all the jets they've got Area Fifty One. And the president gets in a plane because he's leading from the front, etc. And he, he does the big speech and all that shit. And uh, the speech is fucking awful as well. Yeah, it is some Sorkin shit. That, yeah, that speech. No, Sorkin's actually better. <laughs> and I can't believe I've said that, but like you do not got <laughs> to hand it to him. <laughs> yeah. I'm not handing it to him I'm just suggesting that like I don't know because like I went and had a look at some of the reviews for the film like before re-watching because I was like I got shown it by my parents as a oh this is a great film we love it um, when I first saw it so I was like going back to it and was like oh yeah what do people think about it let's have a look at some reviews and everybody's like oh you've just got to think about that speech it's, it's so important and so significant and you're like yeah. Oh my god. When you were when you were reading those reviews, could you hear guns being fired into the air in the background? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just like I don't know, I think everybody loving it made me hate it even more. Mm. Yeah. It's it's genuinely fucking dreadful. The the bit about like, you know, he references that like fucking uh that poem about we won't go quietly into that good night or something. <laughs> Like draws now nowadays draws like a comparison with that fucking uh, bit Michael Caine does in Interstellar, mm-hmm. which is much much mm-hmm. better. It's better because he's just reading a poem, not like just fucking heals some Sorkin shit. But See, I, yeah. I, thought, yeah. I thought you were gonna say he's like now harkens back to Michael Caine in Harry Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what do you think? What do you think was happening on Harry Brown's estate <laughs> during the alien during the alien invasion? In attack the block, because <laughs> it was established that like the the fucking like weird dog monsters were landing all over London. So presumably Harry Brown and his like fucking mate, the not paedophile, had to like kick fuck out of a bunch of them. You had to steal one off a certain member of the House of Lords. <laughs> <laughs> So the next thing we get is that Will Smith uh, marries Jasmine uh, with uh, fucking Jeff Goldblum and yeah, Ron Howard's dad conducts a ceremony. Yeah, <laughs> that family needs to stop. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not long after a fucking uh, Arrested Development watch through as well. So like that. That was annoying. That was very annoying to see one of them in this. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, they fuck off on a mission. Uh, so Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum get into the alien ship and they fly up. They get in, they upload the virus, they deploy a nuclear missile and they destroy it and the alien reinforcements. And then the shields are down, so the president and all the other people in the jets can shoot at them, but they keep fucking it up. And then... The last ditch attempt to destroy it is when the gun is about to file. Uh, you need to fly an F eighteen directly into it, and that's that's how well, was, Russell they had destroys to fire it. a missile. Well, they were going to fire a missile at it, yeah, but they they, they couldn't because it was jammed because the plot demanded that something happen for tension, 
And, and also yeah. <laughs> Randy Quay to be able to redeem himself. Yes. And like Chloe said, the Vietnam War. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So with that, all of America's crimes are deemed inadmissible and uh, <laughs> the war is over and all of the ships presumably went, well, we'll just try firing one more time and they just kept getting fucking taken down. And that's it. The film's over. There are fireworks, etc. because it is indeed Independence Day and... That's it. There was never a sequel. Yeah. Well, what you need what you need to note about the end is they show you the ruins of a bunch of like world cities. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Houston is irradiated. Yeah. Yes. For however long that's no going to take. No one notices. No. <laughs> right. So, I just I do want to talk about this film and race and just Roland Emmerich a little bit in general because like he's spoken about racism in the film industry before. Apparently there was resistance to him casting Will Smith in this, but also like he doesn't write or prioritize people of color very well in his films. Mm. And like, do you think he would ever write or direct a cast a film with a black scientist engineer person and a Jewish fighter pilot? (laughs) Good question. I would like to see this swapped with Will Smith playing the Jeff Goldblum role, and yeah, then, so I mean, yeah. then Nicolas Cage playing the Will Smith role. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nineteen ninety six. It's it, it's peak Cage time. <laughs> what about Cage playing like the alien? Yeah, I was about to say the alien. I was, was going to say Bill Pullman, but I do like Bill Pullman in this. Hmm. So who's bad? What about Nick Cage playing the... Oh, Jeff fuck. Goldblum's dad. No, Randy Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he could so do the Randy Quaid. <laughs> Nick Cage can just do all of the um, replacement noises for the alien rather than some cunt's cat. <laughs> I mean, Nick Cage would absolutely like have fucking just ruled if he'd been cast instead of Brent Spiner. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd actually like to see the entire Independence Day remade, shot for shot, but with Nick Nick Cage playing all the parts. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah including the dog. for any 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 single film, and that's <laughs> always going to be true, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could probably you could probably do that with like a, a deep fake AI, mm-hmm. if you had like a fast enough computer and a couple of days to kill. I do have a week off, actually, so um, well, check get, check the links on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> So, I just just some things I made notes of. Um, that you see Will Smith waking up next to Jasmine, and then immediately after he gets up to walk outside, he's got like he's put some like some bottoms on and his dog tags. It's the only thing he's wearing. I don't understand why he has to be wearing his dog tags immediately after waking up. It's in case he's murdered by an enemy combatant outside the house. He's not wait- wearing them when he wakes up. So he puts on the bottoms and it's like, what else do I need? Dog tags. <laughs> well, he should be wearing them in bed. What if his house fell down in the night? How would they know who he was? <laughs> <laughs> Not by the address or anything. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the main thing that we, we didn't get to. That, uh, just I think the, dog the, main, tags. the main The main thing we didn't get to is uh, Jeff Goldblum's shitty chess metaphors. Because you see him playing chess with his dad in the park in New York at the start. Mm-hmm. And then he explains, like, the alien signal that he knows, that he understands that the reducing signal in the satellite feed 
is a countdown to an attack because it's like chess. You position all your pieces and then you wait. And I'm like, no, I don't think I, I don't think that's how chess works. <laughs> I think when the other guy makes a move, you have to act. I don't think you're allowed to just go, oh, I'm, I'm good, mate, and just wait for them to make a mistake. Do you know what I mean? I think you have to oh, keep no, moving. It's, it's, it's like Dungeons and Dragons. You can hold your action. Yeah. <laughs> One thing you have to give it is this is definitely a film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, it, it, it's it's actually mechanically a good film for for the, mm-hmm. what it's trying to be. Yeah, you, know, you, you can you can argue about a lot of things, but actually, part A goes into part B into slot C, and it works really well from that point. Yeah, no, as as all round a good film. Um, yeah, like, if a bit fucking stupid at points, but like fine, whatever. It's a film; it can be stupid if it wants to be. Um, oh, I've, I've, I found another thing in my notes. Oh, good. Which is, quick, is classism. Like, there is some kind of classism. There's the, the Jasmine stuff and about, like, sex work and how that is seen. Jordan, also, mate, I don't sorry. know if anyone's told you here, but America doesn't have a class system, actually. Because they have the same accent. <laughs> but there's also how uh, Judd Hirsch, his character, talks about David being the cable repairman and how... I think she'd maybe be more ambitious, but or is having a working class job dignified enough? And it seems to think it seems to think it is in this film. That bit where he's talking to his his wife or his ex wife or whatever, um, where like he's, he's complaining about how she left him because of her ambition and her career, and like in she's like, well, have you never ever wanted to be part of something special? And he's like, I was. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like you think you're over, you're over, you're over egging it a bit there. Like you know what I mean. But I, I like that bit where she, is it? Are they having that conversation? And and she seems surprised that he knows who the Beatles are. Because <laughs> he say something like, "All you need is love." John Lennon shot in the back, oh. very sad. And and she looks like, "How do you know John Lennon?" <laughs> it's just like the weirdest, <laughs> re- weirdest reaction. That's the bit on Air Force One, isn't it? With the uh, yeah, with her, with his dad. But now it's the bit where he's getting pissed because they've decided to use nukes. Yes, yeah. And like, uh, and she's she she was apparently the marriage failed because she was mad that he just wanted to be a fucking like <laughs> cable guy and didn't want to become like fucking Elon Musk or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, there is a bit where she's like mad because he apparently accused her of having an affair with the president at some point, and like, it's totally fine that David did that because it it would have been justified and she probably overreacted there. Like, that's the kind of vibe you get. the president yeah. before he was president. Yeah. It's just, like, again, I, I think this film is actually, in many ways, it does some stuff better than the sequel in terms of how it handles sexism. But, like, just the way it leans into some tropes is yeah. bizarre. Chloe. Chloe, it does everything better than the fucking sequel. <laughs> 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 also that that bit as well they talk about how they had a fight and it's like I, I mean i like jeff goldblum as much as the next person but bill pullman would fucking destroy him if they got into yeah. a fight like <laughs> also bill pullman was at this point obviously a fair bit younger mm. than he is in the film he's got the range as well he's he, he's got the reach advantage not long off of having apparently been an air force pilot yeah yeah 
And we know those Air Force pilots can like absolutely like punch out a fucking like mech. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen him punch out Kieran Culkin, but that's uh, that's not quite Bill Pullman. <laughs> I fucking love that film. Yeah, <laughs> I won't. You, you weren't just talking generally. <laughs> well, I was. So is there a film? <laughs> we don't. We don't watch him twenty four hours a day. You know what I mean? When he gets up to on his own time, is like his business. Yeah, it's, I'd, I'd be quite. It'd be quite amusing if the film you're talking about is like Home Alone, and there's just an out outtake from like <laughs> Kieran Culkin being six years old and Jeff Goldblum just lamping him. <laughs> Now, it, if anyone is interested, there's a very there's a very uh, good film called Igby Goes Down, and uh, Jeff Goldblum is not so Jeff Goldblum in that. Yeah, yeah. Kieran Kieran Culkin is great in it. Yeah. <laughs> so on on the topic of Independence Day, is there any final thoughts anyone would like to offer before we stop this recording, and then painfully begin the second one where we talk about the really bad film? <laughs> well. I'd just like to say, we, we will be talking about the sequel, but a lot of people f- forget that there was another set of sequels as well. So um, there was uh, Valentine's Day, New Year's <laughs> Eve, uh, <laughs> and Mother's Day, um, which were all films set in that same premise that you know it was just based around a day, and there was lots of different disparate people meeting just, you know, and yeah, they move away from the sci-fi bit a little bit um, and lean more into the romantic comedy side of things. But uh, I'm not because enti- they don't really mention the invasion either. Um, but is this similar to the series Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans? Remember the Titans? That's that's my guess. Yeah, but yeah, um... yeah like seven and ten <laughs> in two thousand and one. <laughs> it's a better naming scheme to be honest um, mm. realistically put, put it all under one umbrella like the Amazon's Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan's whatever the fuck it is the calendar man <laughs> cinematic universe yes ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, well right okay I think we'll, we'll we'll kill this here but we will say um, if you want to hear part two you will need to go to Com Radio and where can we find Com Radio you can find us on Twitter at Comradio UK. And we've got links to all the podcast stuff there. And also you can find Ale, the Alternative Left Entertainment at alternativeleftentertainment.org or follow us on Twitter at Ale underscore collective. Yes. And yeah, yeah everyone's fucking at in the show notes, etc. And yeah, uh, please do join us for part two where yeah. I will lose my fucking mind about another terrible part thing. two which is probably going to be better than this because like the, the general consensus on this film is yeah it's, it's all right yeah, it's you know fine. What I mean? <laughs> wasn't wasn't sad when it stopped but i enjoyed it enough do you know what i mean whereas the second one like i, I mean i don't want to speak for everyone else present but that was fucking honking that like do you know what i mean never make me watch anything like that ever again and i'll be happy uh i can promise you will never be happy uh <laughs> So on that on that positive note, we'll we'll catch you later. Yeah, see ya. Cheerio. Yeah. Bye. Bye.